They say that you can get in any building if you've got a ladder. Let me ask you this, Brett. <laughs> Who are they? I don't know. They talk a lot, though, they, don't they? They sure do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I read that somewhere. One of these social engineer guys who was not a criminal said the only thing you needed to do to get in any building was to walk in carrying a ladder. And it hit me. I was like, hmm, that might work. That might work. <laughs> you know, it, it might work. I did a uh, an infrastructure conference up in Put-In-Bay, Ohio. You know, it's a small island in one of the Great Lakes. And I we went up there to do a conference, and I spoke to um, Gray Matter Systems about infrastructure. So, you know, they had the electric companies there, the water companies, the gas companies, all this. And uh, when I was there, they, they had actually did this social engineering experiment. Not the latter one, but they had dropped a thumb drive in a parking lot to see how many employees walking in would pick up the thumb drive. And the thumb drive was always picked up. <laughs> always. And it was always plugged in, which is a big no-no. Huge no-no because that thumb drive's got malware, everything else on it. So that was how many people would plug it in. Everyone that picked it up plugged it in. Then, of course, how many people would click on a file that was on the thumb drive? <laughs> Just in case it wasn't an executable when you plugged the thumb drive in, somebody wanted you to click on the file. Turns out if, you, if the file mentioned anything about salaries, it was always clicked on. Always. Of course. So that's social engineering. Right. And uh, so today we're talking to Jenny Radcliffe, who is a social engineer and she's a legal one. But what I found out is talking to her, you know, because I like Jenny a lot. I was on her podcast, The Human Factor, a few weeks ago, and uh, I adore Jenny. I really do. She's fantastic. And I was talking to her and I was like, man, you know, a lot of these social engineers that are, you know, the ethical hackers, they, they just don't get it. They don't understand how real social engineering works from a criminal point of view. But I kept talking to Jenny, and I was like, you know, she gets it. She gets it. She, she's got that mindset. And I was curious, where does that come from? How is she, you know, this legal person able to do this, able to have the mindset? And I find out. <laughs> so she, she had a, a, a childhood that, that kind of resulted in that same social engineering stuff. Not, not the Brett Johnson childhood. You know, but she had a, uh, she has a very colorful history, and uh, I wanted to bring her in today to discuss social engineering. And it turns out, and I'm a firm believer of this, and Jenny is as well. Without social engineering, cybercrime falls on its ass. You know, you have to have social engineering in order for financial cybercrime to succeed. Without it, it, it doesn't. It simply doesn't. Ransomware doesn't work. Phishing, I mean, phishing is social engineering. I mean, without, without that social engineering aspect, you don't have the numbers of cybercrime that you've got today. So we're bringing, bringing one of the pros in, Jenny Radcliffe, to talk today about social engineering. Welcome to the Anglerfish Podcast where we navigate the dark waters of our online lives. I'm your host, Brett Johnson. 
Season one of Anglerfish tells the story of my rise and fall as the original internet godfather and how I was able to turn from a life of crime to now being focused on protecting people from the type of person I used to be. This second season of the Anglerfish podcast dives into the deepest, darkest waters of our online lives. We'll be discussing fraud and financial cybercrime, sure, but also human trafficking, drugs, cyberbullying, fake news, extremist groups, nation-state attacks, child pornography, and more. Anglerfish believes shedding light on the darkest parts of the Internet helps us to better understand the problems and find solutions instead of living in a world of fear. Welcome to the Anglerfish Podcast. Today on the Anglerfish Podcast, we are honored, completely honored, to have Jenny Radcliffe on. Jenny, thank you so hey. much for appearing. Hi, Brett. It's a pleasure to be on. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you. I'll tell you that. And, you know, I was on your podcast not too long ago. You were. <laughs> so, so for those who don't know, and everyone should know Jenny, but for those who don't know, could you introduce yourself to the audience, tell everyone what you do, how to contact you, all that good stuff. Yeah, so I online, I am, I'm known as the people hacker. I am, I'm a hacker, but not a computer hacker, not a technical hacker. Um, I work in the area of social engineering. So it's all about um, psychology of manipulation, um, hired by clients to replicate sort of criminal attacks on their businesses, but using people, using psychology, using charm, um, those types of things to get people to give up information or give us access um, to their premises or to information that they shouldn't be giving us. Um, and really the, the way I started with that was sort of covert entry and physical infiltration. So um, yeah, people hacker or the business is human factor security. So human so. factor security. Now, now you did say you started with covert entry. Yes. I have to know, I have to know <laughs> the story behind that. Yeah, well, I, I've started saying covert entry because when I say, <laughs> <laughs> I used to say physical penetration tester, which, you know, is, is sometimes it's be, <laughs> people take that the wrong way. But yeah, covert entry, I guess, you know, I grew up in a part of the UK um, called Liverpool, um, okay. which is why you can, you can hear my rich northern accent. And, um, you know, at the time when I was growing up, my I was... Uh, Half of my family senior law enforcement military. Okay. The other half were not that. <laughs> um, and I kind of was babysat and looked after by the other half. And there wasn't a lot to do. So we started to get into some buildings, you know, empty buildings. Okay. Um, that were just derelict and stuff. And, and, and we did that for a while. And then we moved on to getting into buildings that perhaps weren't empty. Uh, never to take anything or break anything, more just to see if we could get in. So see sure. things like a puzzle that we could crack, you know, or if we could, like things like we got into a museum and saw if we could stay overnight in the museum. Um, <laughs> or I wanted to go and see a lion in a zoo at night. And um, when I was very little, I mean, it's the first one I really remember clearly. So you, you, you broke into a zoo just, just so you could see the lions at night. Well, I asked my cousins, they had these big cousins, and I asked them if, if we could see the lion. You know, I've been there during oh. the day, 
And I said, could we go to this zoo and see if the lion is locked away at night? Now I can tell you that it is, but not nearly as securely as you wish it was <laughs> if you'd broken into that zoo and were like a foot away from the thing. I mean, it went absolutely crazy and we ran out and, and stuff. And, and, and what happened was my, my cousins that were sort of showing me these things. So they weren't, I mean, like, it's, it's like when people talk about lockpicks and things, you know, I right. did learn that, but we never did it because it takes too long. And also the lock is broken. Right. So right. We, we, we'd find other ways of doing it. And, and we, and they were sort of working on the doors of nightclubs and things in Liverpool. They were, I think, I don't know whether you call them bouncers in the States, but you mm-hmm. know, door security. And they um, were sort of mixed up in kind of like the underworld, the, the sort of criminal scene of Liverpool at the time. Right. Although, although I never really knew exactly what they did, but they, they were involved. And they asked me to, um, yeah, that's, a, that's for any lawyers listening. And, um, or well, indeed my going, family. Because my family was involved with crime, you know, and, and that was, some of them, we didn't know what they did, what they did criminally, but they did something. <laughs> Well, all I know is like they'd ask, they started asking me to do things like, so they asked me to run little errands. Mm. So like I'd be coming out of university. So I went to university in my hometown and they'd say, can you pick up this envelope and, and, and deliver it to someone else? Or can you, um, you know, can you, can you sit in this coffee shop and tell us if this guy goes in and out and stuff like that? So I, <laughs> so I, I kind of did all of that. And then they started to involve me in, we had, um, in Liverpool, especially at the time, no one had any money apart from the soccer team. Sure. So Liverpool Football Club is, is, is actually the best football club in the world, the best soccer club, right? And <laughs> the, oh, well, it just is. That's just <laughs> and, um, and And the, all those football players had these huge houses in posh part, in you know, expensive parts of the city. And they were asking my cousins and their associates whether they could test their security, you know, is the house secure? Could you think you guys could get in even when the alarm was on? And because I was sweet and innocent and, you know, I was sort of smart enough to remember things as well. I had a very good memory. I don't so much now I'm old now, but I did have an excellent memory. I, they started to ask me to write the reports and then to help them. And so we started, I started to do sort of paid work. Um, and like you say, I never knew what they did, but I mean, I did one job and we would be going back to what would be say 73, 83, around about 1989. Okay. And they, and I'd be getting like 300 pounds in my hand for like right. one report and a day's work, which was a fortune sure. to me. Um, and so, yeah, so I, and so I learned a, a bunch of stuff from them and then we kind of drifted apart a little bit. We got a bit older and I started to get calls from um, a very specific client that, that gave me higher level jobs, but they wanted just me and not the cousins. Sure. Um, and so that, yeah. And so I started doing it and I had, I had other, I mean, I was working a regular job right, right. <laughs> at the same time and I was going on all these business trips and I get these calls that would say like, you know, we know that you're in Hong Kong. Um, you know, do you, do you want to earn some money while you're in Hong Kong? <laughs> and, 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 you know, and I, I, I said, yes. And, and so it became, yeah, it became, it became a career. And then, nice. you know, as you know, suddenly about sort of 12 years ago, it suddenly got respectable to say that that was what you did. So I came out, I came out of the closet right? and told everyone that I, I did that as well. You know, what's, what, what strikes me, as pretty interesting about your story. So when I talk about social engineering from a criminal side, what I talk about is that 
the more experienced social engineers that are criminals, they became social engineers when they were children and, and kind of adapted that to their career path as they grew older. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened with you as well. You didn't cross really the lines into, you know, so you, you entered into buildings illegally, sure. But when I entered into a building or a domicile illegally, it was all about stealing something. You were just there for the experience. So you never crossed that line. But it seems to me that you've got pretty much the same type of training that a, a criminal has. You know, you've got that social engineering that took place when you were a child. So it's kind of ingrained into your entire psyche at the same time. Yeah. I mean, what a friend of mine always says, you know, you were born to it, really. You know? Right. And I mean, you know, say I never took anything. I didn't, unless it was part of the job. And then sure. years later thinking, actually, who hired me? You know, was that? I don't remember doing a presentation. <laughs> you know. Come to um, think of it. <laughs> come to think of it. Uh, you know, and there was some pretty, I mean, there was some pretty hairy experiences and dangerous, really dangerous experiences that went right. on that now I think about it and I know how pen tests and things are run by security firms now. Right, right. You know, those things pro probably weren't legitimate and I was perhaps naive or just didn't want to ask because it paid so well. And, and well. I just, you know, it seemed someone to told me it was legitimate. So I kind of went, well, it must be right. And Sure. But um, yeah, it, it was something that, um, I, I had no, I mean, first of all, it was sort of pre-computers um, when I started. I, I, and, and I never had any real training in technical stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think what it was, especially when I was younger, when I was a teenager and, and sort of in my 20s, it was, for me, it was always easier to work on the people than on the lock or the alarm. I would agree. I could, I could watch people. I could watch patterns of life. I could, I could always you know, get talking to someone, get them to, to tell me things real quickly. Um, so, so, so yeah, that's, go on. Right now, so that, that's what you were doing in the past was, you know, the covert entry and stuff like that. So, so when you're talking about social engineering now, what, what is the, the, the I guess, the, the majority of the type of work that you do? Because I, I want to talk about, you had mentioned uh, hacking, but not a computer. And I think that's very important for the audience to understand that, you know, the difference is that hacking is not just at a computer, that at the base level, what you're doing most of the time, I don't really care what the, the expertise is of the attacker, you, the attacker typically goes toward the human that's, that's mm -hmm. using the system or that's outside of the yeah. system or anything else like that. So, so what type of work are you doing right now? And, and what do you see as, as the main part of business that you're, that you're engaged in? So, I mean, things escalated over the years and I, you know, I certainly got a lot of attention. And so some of the work I do now is, is, is stuff that really is, is quite sort of secret. I mean, okay. the stuff I do, the stuff I do for commercial clients, isn't that dissimilar. I'm usually how they just say, so for, I'll give you an example. I was asked to, um, to do a job where technically they'd had an internal team and an external team test a facility. Okay. And this facility <laughs> was a nightmare. Sorry. <coughs> it's making me laugh because when I think about it, if I'd have known, <laughs> it was hyper, hyper secure, uh, military level, um, 
sort of uh, perimeter, like dogs. <laughs> I like now, you know, like I have a I have a thing in my contract now that if there is dogs, I charge you more. Like, <laughs> but I hadn't so, really. So that's one of the questions. Do you have dogs? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I am a cat person. <laughs> but um, you know, it's, it's a very very secure facility, and I mean, it really really was, and it was critical. Um, in what it does is very important and the and, and it, but it typifies the type of work so it's like you know we've, we've done everything you know we've spent millions on um firewalls and anti-malware and you know um and indeed <laughs> security awareness awareness campaigns <laughs> like for example on every door that i would have possibly could have tried to tailgate into there was like a six feet high poster saying ask for their pass <laughs> report them <laughs> you know say no to tailgaters and to every door. right right and what they wanted to know was was the human element still vulnerable like could someone still get around that because they were pretty confident that they were secure and they but but yet they were smart enough to know that the human side would may still be an issue right and so they said um you know get can just can you get in and can you get to the secure part of the site, which is, you know, a, a major um, target for all sorts of different bad guys. Um, but you obviously you can't use any tech. Right. And so it's that type of thing. So what we would do in that case is we would research the facility. We'd, like I, I, I do things in a very thorough way. I'm kind of nerdy about it. So I look at the, I look at the actual physical facility over a long time so we're quite expensive compared to a lot of people in the same business because i take a lot of time over it so i wouldn't just say like okay it's a five-day assignment it takes as long as it takes right right so i look at the facility the patterns of life what people do we check out kind of all the bars and restaurants and coffee shops in the area <laughs> we um <laughs> don't you make don't you you of all people make me laugh when i say this stuff um and then we've got some of the tech guys you know we, we, we'd look at kind of what technology there is behind the entries look at the security firms we'd look at people online so we do a lot of sort of open source intelligence work trying to profile the type of person but sure. what i'm also looking for i kind of look for I, I see a target organization as a person in a way so i look at them as if this is like a gestalt entity what's this person like you know what what do they fear what is it that they're attracted to? What makes them, what is there in their past that they can't let go of? What's happening in the future? Right. And I really kind of try and feel the heartbeat of the company so that when we make that approach, we have a very, very good chance of getting past. And we tend to get past, well, all the time, because if I fail, like I just professional <laughs> proud, I keep going back. And then what we do then is we, we attempt to get into that facility. And in this particular facility, um, you know, we get past the outer perimeter, the guards, right. get past the reception. And I had 11 minutes because what they said was, look, um, we have an armed response. We have a police response. And this is UK, right? So armed response <laughs> in the UK is pretty rare. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, and obviously we can only let that, that response stand down for sort of 11 minutes. I don't know why it was 11 because... You know, there's a chance that, as has happened in my career, you're actually doing a fake break in when the real bad guys turn up. And that ah, happened to me. Right, right. That happened to me in Brussels, right? So, oh. anyway, <laughs> long, that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So, you know, you've got 11 minutes, try and get to the secure area, no tech and no assistance. And so my job for someone who's a lay person, my job would be to, would, would be, um, to select a mark. So to select a target mm-hmm. and use an individual to let me in without coercion. So I wouldn't threaten or anything like that. I have to talk my way in. And that means, and you know this, Brett, I guess, but it means picking the exact right person in the exact right time and the right prop and the right language. Exactly. Um, and that means and all I, that recon that you did pays off. <laughs> yeah, or, or not. You know, sometimes it, sometimes it really does. I mean, tactically, I say this to people all the time, you know, I over-prepare, right? I know everything about that company or as much as I feel I, I, I can possibly get. Um, but then once I'm inside a facility, once I'm inside a building, an office, you know, it, it, often that just is completely out the window. You have to be, uh, when I teach people this, I talk about Semper Gumby, right? Always flexible. Right. Because something will change and you have to drop everything, all those weeks and weeks of research, weeks of everything. Um, that, that will inform a decision, but what you have to do is drop it and tactically make a move depending on what's immediately in front of you so you've got strategic intelligence and then tactical thinking and it's that tactical thinking that often completes the job and i have to tell you that that i managed to do it um (laughs) and the client was you know sort of one part pissed off as it were oh sorry i don't know if you saw it in the show no you can say pissed (laughs) one, one part really pissed and you know two parts like really happy because it proved a point to them but they were pissed because they'd thrown, I, I mean, I don't know what it, the budget was that they'd thrown at it, but it was, you know, tens of millions to keep this thing safe. Right. And yet this, you know, I could, this lady was just able to just kind of talk her way in, even after <laughs> training. <laughs> but I, I, after that job, you know, I, I, I decided, I said, that's it. I'm hanging up my guns. I'm not doing it again. Okay. Okay. So but I did. <laughs> but, but of course. <laughs> I was determined. <laughs> you know, I, I say that uh, a lot of the times that, I, that I'm talking in a conference, I point out that the attackers, that the online attackers, that we have this perception that an attacker is this upper tier computer criminal able to break into any type of computer system they want to. You know, we, we paint them in hoodies in the shadows, mm-hmm. typing on a keyboard, and we kind of make specters out of them, these ghosts. And what I'm adamant about pointing out is that that is not the case. You know, we do have upper tier attackers like that, mm-hmm. but their numbers are really small. You know, the, the 99% of the attackers out there, they're just very good social engineers. They know how to manipulate someone into getting, you know, information, access, data, cash, those types of things. Um, one of the things I say is that without social engineering, cybercrime falls on its ass. And I'd like to have your viewpoint on that. Oh, I mean, I'd agree completely, 100%. I mean, I think, you know, I know a lot of people who would be considered hackers in that kind of uh, popular culture image, Mm -hmm. you know, the hoodie, the Mr. Robot type of (laughs) thing. Um, And and, and they're amazing at what they do. But even, you know, the thing that surprised me was I, I gave, I broke into a bank in Germany, um, and someone asked me, so could I do social engineering my way into a bank? And we did. And then I was asked to give a talk in London at a technical conference. And it was um, this, you know, information security conference. And I didn't want to give the talk because what I thought was, 
none of these technical guys and gals are going to care what I do. I mean, they're going to laugh at me, right? Because I don't know how to hack someone's computer or whatever. And I really was um, in a very bad mood, which happens quite often. And I just thought, you know, screw it. I'm just going to do what I do and whatever, because they're going to hate me. They're probably going to laugh at me. And, and exactly the opposite was the case and has always been the case in the, in the security industry, in the cyber industry. What actually happened was everyone at that conference and the industry generally were the people who most understood your point. So the more technical someone is and the more technical ability they have, the more they appreciate the human error or manipulation is the gateway into a company. And so it astounded me that they got what I was saying. They understood that the the quickest way to attack a target. Now the technology is, is, is doing a good job, you know, by and large, the tech is good. Um, from an attacker's perspective, it's, it's quicker, easier, and more effective um, to target a human. And I was really surprised that they all thought that, um, but they did. And, and, and that was, you know, once I did that talk, um, the industry asked me to do, you know, dozens and dozens of talks <laughs> because they, they kind of said, yeah, you know, that she's right. We've known she's right. And, you know, and, and, and not just me, lots of people who talk about it are, you know, this is the key. This is one of the big problems that we have, you know? Sure. Sure. So that being said, and <laughs> what do companies need to do? to better defend themselves and protect their employees against social engineering attacks? Do you know, I'm asked this all the time. (laughs) No, (laughs) I'm asked this all the time. And there are things that you can do, right? I think one of the, the main things is, is make it easy for people to report when they see suspicious behavior. Um, that you could have a report station, you know, somewhere where people can just anonymously say things, emails saying, have you seen anything unusual going out at the end of the day? You know, did you see someone strange in reception? Have you let someone in? Did you click on an email today? You you could send that out, you know, most nights or once a week and make it easy for people to report things is, is one thing, Right. but you do need to train people to be more paranoid and less trusting. And the problem is, is that what I come up against with my clients when I say that is people are very upset by that because (laughs) they don't want to live their life in a state of paranoia and not trusting people. Sure. Um, And I understand that. And, And depending on my mood, I give different responses, but mostly I say, well, that's a shame, but that is not the world you're living in. I rely on you being polite. I rely on you being a nice person. I rely on the fact that you trust me because I don't sound or look like a criminal to get into your organization. And if, you know, you can't, you've got to drip feed it to people in lots of different ways. It doesn't matter how you do it, but you need to drift feed it. You need to give the narrative back to the staff, by which I mean some training, some awareness. But the one thing I always say when I'm interviewed about this is, I, I met a guy a few years ago, I was training a company on something else. And this company had what they called a health and safety moment. So every okay. morning they had a team meeting, um, and and in each of these team meetings, they have for like 10 minutes every morning just to put everyone across the day. Someone was selected to be the person to bring a health and safety moment. So they might report a near miss, you know, I've slipped on something. 
um, or, you know, be careful when you load all the sort of health and safety stuff that we all know about and get tired of hearing. Right. And the day I was there, this guy spoke and he said that he he just got back from vacation and his son had nearly drowned, right? They'd rented a villa. This little boy had fallen into the pool and he was just sitting having a, on, on his computer having a drink. And he said it was really quiet, right? So this little kid nearly drowned. He went and saved him. Everything was fine. He said, but my, my health and safety moment is that drowning isn't noisy. Like in the movies, it can be really um, quiet. So when it goes quiet, you know, check up on people. Sure. And I just thought it was just so amazing because people were bringing personal stories. They were bringing stories like they'd seen a film or, or, or whatever. And there was these little health and safety moments. So what I say to my clients is, Bring in a security moment. So talk to them about social engineering and social engineering more than anything else. And that's not just because I would say that, but it's because it's easier for people to identify with a social engineer than a cyber criminal. It's easier to picture what I mean. Absolutely. People can absolutely see that there might be someone trying to talk their way into a company or, you know, they can put a face on it easier than a virus or something. And you say, right, you know, so every time you have a meeting, someone has to give a, a security moment. Could be a story in the paper about a phishing attack, or it could be a movie they've seen. Maybe they went and saw Ocean's Eleven, which I'm asked about on a pretty much continual basis. <laughs> um, oh, and I always say, I'm sure you say this too, Brett, it's exactly like that. <laughs> exactly my, like that. <laughs> my crew look like that. We stay in those hotels. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, we, it's yeah. exactly like that. Oh, um, nothing like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> but you know they may have seen a movie or it might be that they say you know there was someone in reception yesterday and you know she looked really innocent she's this nice Liverpool lady and I let her through and maybe I shouldn't have done it because it's only when you get people talking about it as if it's normal right as if it's just part of the of the culture right that that that, that the company can prevent it because Otherwise, it's another thing that you've got to learn, like how to lift a box properly. You know, you lift a box this way and you shouldn't let someone tailgate. It becomes background noise. Exactly. And if it's background noise, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rinse you if, you, if if it's background noise. <laughs> you're right. You're right. And you, you mentioned, I think that was the key for, for everything for me. Once I turned, you know, I, I went from the social engineer as the child and then started to use those tools to commit crime later on. And that, that was the thing is that I always relied on my victim being friendly, of being polite, of being trained to, to treat other people kindly, of trusting. So it's, it's that whole issue of, and, and, you know, I'm not a big fan of Ronald Reagan, but one thing he said is trust but verify. And I agree with that completely. And I, that, that you pointing out that people like I used to be, relying on others being polite of wanting to help of wanting to trust that's that's the key thing that i always looked for when i was about to victimize someone yeah and i've said to companies you know even if you if you type a phrase out and put it up above the reception desk or above the you know every door every elevator that says you know employees have been asked to ask other you know employees have been asked to see your visitors pass or you know our employees will be disciplined if they don't check for identity. Now, you know, as a social engineer, I hate it when a company actually manages to do that. <laughs> um, and I still sometimes get past those things, right? Sure. But, um, but you know, with, without wanting to sound like I'm kind of blowing my own trumpet, like a lot of people do, and it wouldn't, opportunistic social engineers 
wouldn't be as quick on the feet. And that will put them, you know, it puts an awful lot of criminals off because the, the office next door won't have done that. Right. So right. you know what it's like, right? So what I say is, you know, social engineers, if, if, if a social engineer is, is good and is determined because human beings have errors because we are emotional because we have things we care about we have things we're frightened of because there's organizational operational procedures that you will follow a really determined social engineer will get past and, and we agree. have to just you know everyone has to accept it but here's the thing unless you're a specific target for a specific reason the more informed and difficult you make it for me the less likely I'll choose you as a target, the more likely I am to leave and just try the next building where those staff didn't have that and didn't care about that because I don't want to make my life any more difficult than it needs to be unless it's a pay for target for a specific reason. You touched upon it. That That's the thing right there. And what I talk about is, you know, there's only three reasons that people are out there committing cybercrime. It's status, cash, ideology. So if it's cash, it's basically the lowest hanging fruit. And you're absolutely right. That attacker, you, you put up these these barriers and everything else. That the social engineer, he's not going to worry about that. He's going to go to an easier target. But if there is a specific reason that he's looking at that company, if it's ideology or status, mm-hmm. or, or he needs that company I don't care. He's going to find a way to get into that company. Yeah, for sure. Because, <laughs> because, you know, I remember, I don't say this so much now when I do my talks, but I remember doing one talk and, and getting someone asked me, you know, well, I was something like, I, I remember I said, you don't need to be resourced. You know, when I started out and really for a lot of my career, we, we had no money. So I used to think of like, ways of doing it that cost almost nothing right because you have no money or tools or or tech and i think the guy said oh well you know in in that case why would we be such a you know why why would it work type of thing you you know why how how come it's so how come it's so effective if you're not resourced well and you don't really have all these tools and i remember just being quite i think this is probably why i don't say it anymore but i remember just looking at him and going this is a this is not something that is a hobby right this right. is something i that, that I, if, if i'm giving that job if i'm looking at something this is like my tw- i treat that as a proper um my job my a proper employment i would be 24 7 looking at ways to do it it'd be all i think about right <laughs> i mean it's that's it I, it's true it's all i think about <laughs> i think and, and, and once i think i've found a way of doing it i'll think about a way to do it with finesse and I remember the guy just looked at me as if I was just the most evil person. I said, but I would, right? I mean, because I, I, And I'll drop the finesse if I, if I don't need to do it. But like, I'll kind of like, if you make it, if you kind of say to me, I mean, I remember there was a, I met a guy from one of the biggest tech companies in the world that we'd all have heard of, right? Mm-hmm. And he saw, and I had, um, I had my, because I do have a hoodie. <laughs> but, it's like, <laughs> but it's advertising, right? And it's quite a, ga- it's quite a girly hoodie. And, and it's got the name of the company. And on the back, it's got leave the cons to the pros. right? <laughs> and uh, the guy said to me, oh, I think I know you. You're, you're that social engineer lady, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, oh, do you know what? We love social engineers at our company. And I went, you do? And he went, yeah, sure. You know, knock yourself out okay no, see, i'll do that so, <laughs> i'm like when someone says that to me i think oh man 
you have painted a target on yourself because that's right you've challenged I am not me. a bad person <laughs> right i'm not i'm not a bad person right and i wouldn't do do anything but like now you've really tempted me not to just go in and rob you even though i'll give them it back i guess but i guess <laughs> no not just to rob you but to rob you in a in an elegant way with right. some theater to it right because now you're kind of insulting my intelligence and i think it's and I think it's that, right? It's that whole idea of people underestimating what someone who's got very good emotional intelligence and really understands people's vulnerabilities can do and why that is so dangerous. Well, and, and with me, you know, you, you talk, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if you're the same way, but someone says that to me, it, it's, it's a matter of pride and ego. Oh, you want me to, you want me to do that. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, I mean, I think I, I don't do it. And, and in fact, I, I kind of, almost, I can't remember a time when I actually really sort of carries out what went on in my head because most of the time I kind of, it would be like kicking a puppy at that yes. point. You, you yes. kind of go, you really don't, it's more a case of you really don't understand this right. for whatever reason you you don't understand people and you don't understand what someone can do if they understand people and i kind of don't really it's, it's I sort of i reach a, there's a zen about me that just thinks <laughs> i know how i could get you right i'm actually i'm actually not going to do it i have i have decided not to hurt you i've decided not to humiliate you <laughs> because i have made be, the choice not to embarrass yeah, you but today. it's a choice for me not to embarrass you now or or, or but someone else will. And maybe the person that does is not going to be someone that does it just to tweak your nose and say, I told you so. It's going to right. be someone who gets past your defenses, robs you, takes your IPR, does whatever it is that they do because you don't think that that's dangerous. And I think that for me is, um, is something that I, I feel that the industry, the security industry anyway, has come a long way in that. But when I go into different sectors, so I was in um, the US recently and I was in a specific sector and they wanted me to speak and I speak on different things at these conferences, right? Mm -hmm. And they asked me to speak on something that wasn't social engineering. Now these days, you know, I, I do about 50 talks a year on social engineering. Like okay. that's why I'm hired to talk. So for someone to hire me and specifically say, don't talk about social engineering is quite unusual. And, I, and they were asked me to talk about something else. And um, because I speak about all sorts of like influencing and psychology and things. And I said, you know, that's fine. And it was all agreed. And I said, but can I just ask if you're hiring me, you know, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you want me to talk about it? Right. Right. I'm thinking, thinking maybe they had, you know, someone else had been on. <laughs> it was better. <laughs> and they said, Oh, that's not really our thing. That's not really our thing. <laughs> well, maybe you should reconsider that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and okay, you know, I'm going to get up and I'm going to talk about something else then. But like, I just, I didn't want to evangelize about it. Sure. Cause they're not ready. Right. But that makes them very vulnerable. Well, you know, that's, that's interesting that you said that I've, I was one of the first people that talked about synthetic fraud here in the United States. And mm -hmm. there's been a couple of conferences or people that want me to come in and they'll, they'll say, you know, we want you to talk to this financial group about the types of fraud that they're, that they're seeing. And I'll, I'll mention synthetic fraud. Mm -hmm. And there's been at least two occasions where they've been, you know, 
our people aren't really interested in synthetic fraud. They're not seeing that. And I'm like, well, if they're not seeing it, that's just because they're, you know, they don't know that it's happening to them. <laughs> and, and that, that well, strikes me with what you're saying about synthetic. I mean, not synthetic, but uh, social engineering. I mean, if you have humans working for you, <laughs> you should probably well, be concerned. And then what I do is I do the talk, right? And, and in the talk that I'm talking about something else entirely, which is interesting. Oh, it's interesting stuff. And then, but in the talk, I drop a few things. And then at the end, <laughs> at the end, I say, no, any questions? And so someone says, we can, you know, I, you said you broke into a bar. And I drop it into a, into a sentence as if, you know, and then just move on. I don't explain. Sure. You, you said you broke into a bank, did you? <laughs> and I said, oh, I said, oh, a bank. I was like, oh, well, yeah, like it's hard. <laughs> and they go, well, tell, can you tell us a bit more about that? And I go, no, that's what you could have won, you see. Exactly. Um, I said, but you'll have to ask me back next year. I mean, I mean, this is the kind of, you know, do you want me to come back next year and talk about that? And they say yes. And then I go, right, okay, well, that's social engineering. right? There. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and that's so, so arrogant, good. but it's just, and I know it is, but I can't, there is, you know, I'm not an angel, Brett. <laughs> I'm not an angel. I never said I was an angel. And like, there are times when I just think, don't tell me that you, that's not your thing. Because if I go around that audience and say, and if you ever, you know, you know, had a phone call with someone, you know, if anyone ever had your bank account, you know, stolen, you had some money stolen or get, you know, caught, you, you know, your, your parents or something have fallen for some sort of fraud. Yes. Yes. Right. Oh, yes. So it is your thing then. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. And that's, uh, you know, that, uh, there's been a couple occasions too that the company that's looking for me to come in and speak to them, they, they contact me and they're like, we want you to talk about this. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I don't mind doing that. But it seems to me that your people would maybe want to hear about this as well. So it's, from, from my point of view, it's a lot of the time of having that conversation of, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to speak about what you want me to, but you really need to hear this other topic as well. And uh, a lot of the times the company is very receptive to that. Sometimes not so much, <laughs> but. But then in the bar, you know, when I go like that, like you have the questions and then you go in the bar and you, that, they don't want to know about what I've spoken about. They no. want to know about this. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of like, okay, I can talk, I can talk to you all about this one as well. <laughs> this is because they look me up as well. So they look me up online. They'll say, right. Oh. Right. You know, so wow. Jenny, where, where are you going to next? What's, what's on your calendar coming up? Well, we have a few things. Um, I actually have, um, I don't know really whether I'm supposed to say, it. I think, I think it's okay to say it. So we have, um, I was asked to write a book uh, ah. about, about my career and about everything that happened. Outstanding. So, so we are working on that and on securing some uh, rights for that. So. Okay. So, so any idea on, on when this book is going to start appearing so that we can go out and read this? Cause I, hell I'm wanting to read it right now. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. When you look at these things, you sell your soul to a literary agent. <laughs> yes. And um, <laughs> all I can do is relay information that, you know, it should be this year. So that's, all that's great. Say. That's great. Um, so there's that. Um, I also produce a community conference in Liverpool called the called Besides Liverpool, which is, we did our first one last year, which is a not-for-profit. We get a, a bunch of people um, come over the B-Sides community. Anyone in the security industry would know B-Sides, but right. the B-Sides community, people come and speak, and we have like kind of little villages where there's car hacking and stuff. Uh. Because it's in my hometown, and because it's our second year, this year I want it to be about um, social engineering, the human side, 
OPSEC, so operational security. Outstanding. And kind of sort of spy, kind of tradecraft, those type of topics. So that always takes a lot of organizing and, and, and that's coming up in April. And then, oh gosh, um, a lot of talks actually and, and a couple of jobs. <laughs> I always say, <laughs> I always say this is the last job, right? Particularly if it's been a difficult job. There are certain people I won't say no to and there are certain things that I won't say no to. Right. But I usually say, I'll do about six jobs a year, as in break-ins, covert entry, physical and fill. Because I feel like if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be current and, and you know, and I'd have nothing new to talk about on my talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've got a couple of those coming up and, and, and one of them's um, aquatic, <laughs> which should be interesting. Um, but yeah, and so, you know, it's very, very busy and it's... Um, now, when I first started talking about social engineering, there wasn't so many people talking about it. Now, there's a lot of people talking about it. I learn a lot from people like yourself, Brett. Love to hit the podcast, love to listen to you talk about it. I learn so much. Um, but I also see it being done badly as well. And, and so I kind of sometimes think, you know, if you have never so much as stolen a piece of candy, please right. don't get up on stage and advise people what to do to prevent it. And so I appreciate I like, that, Jenny. I you, really do. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so it's, it's busy and I'm excited. So I, I, appreciate, I really appreciate you saying that. that oh that. no, I learned so much from you, man. It's amazing. <laughs> Jenny, if, if someone needs to contact you, if someone would like to bring you in to speak, uh, podcast, interview, media of any type, how could they go about contacting you? Well, ironically, seeing as I talk so much about stalking people on social media, I'm really easy to find. So uh, Jenny Radcliffe, so the Radcliffe's a bit like um, Harry Potter, so the exact same way that the actor who played Harry Potter name is spelled. Um, people used to ask me if I was his sister, now they ask me if I'm his mother, which is rather worrying. Um, so you can find me under that, you can find me under the People Hacker or on Human Factor Security. That's the, our podcast is Human Factor Security Podcast. Twitter, I'm um, Jenny underscore Radcliffe and LinkedIn. I'm all over the place. I am easy to find. You are all over the place. And I let me recommend, I mean, her podcast is outstanding. Jenny is one of the top people in her field. And from someone that I, I've got a complete history of social engineering, I can tell you that that Jenny is one of the top social engineers on the planet. So I, I highly recommend if you don't know her, get up with her. She is outstanding and there's so much to learn from her. Jenny, thank you so much for coming on Anglerfish. Oh, thank you, Brett. And that's very, very kind of you. I'm flattered. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Anglerfish podcast. I appreciate it. If you like it, please subscribe and drop me a line saying hello. Hello is always good. You can reach me direct at brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. That's brett, B-R-E-T-T, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at anglerfish, A-N-G-L-E-R-P-H-I-S-H dot com. Other than saying hello, feel free to email questions, comments, concerns, or even show suggestions. I respond to every single email I get. And please, tell your friends about us. Rate and review Anglerfish wherever you can. As Anglerfish continues to navigate the dark waters of our online lives, remember, stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant.